You are now entering the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. This is 40 Going On 14, and I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Al. <laughs> and I'm Josh, and uh, just a couple days ago, I bought a half gallon of rum. You see, it's Lent, and I've given up on not drinking. It's going to be a long and blurry spring. If you disapprove of Josh's choices, turn to page 23. <laughs> or, if you pour yourself one, turn to page 36. If you bring the mixer... <laughs> <laughs> if you continue down the hallway... <laughs> so... There's a hint. This week we are talking about choose your own adventure books. Oh, yeah, that was rum. Oh, we could. Oh man, we a little bit rough on the then, but my dad. We still used do to... need to do an alcohol show of some sort. Oh yeah. Wow. I can't wait to talk about alcohol as a ti- as a child. Yeah, that'll be great because yeah, considering how well just the uh, breakfast cereal show went, we're all sugared up. Can't wait for that one. Uh, we're gonna <laughs> dredge up some trauma. <laughs> <laughs> no, now we're talking about choosing an adventure. I like to talk about trauma. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Doctor No Nose, Mister yeah, No, Mister No, I haven't heard from Mister No Nose in a while. <laughs> no, apparently he got no. his doctorate in his. No, absence. he didn't. I corrected myself. <laughs> Ma- Master No Nose. No, remember we we had this discussion. You he was saw doctor, Fifty Shades, and then you got like Master in your head. Anyway, so if you want to hear. What? Master No Nose? Is that what you Master said? Master No Nose? You don't call people with Master No Nose. All right. So we are part of the Musings of a Geek Network. <laughs> For but, now, anyway. Yeah. Any yeah. government watch Maybe list. Maybe not after this show. And uh, you can get on, go to Musings of a Geek Network and look them up online, and you find a whole bunch of our fellow shows, such as The Bearded Ones, Who the What Now, Angel, Dark Angels and Pretty Freaks, and give me a fourth one, Josh. Island. You can also push conversations. Geek Ire, Salty Language, The Salt City Podcast. Oh, God, there he goes. Saturday Morning Block Party and Green Up. Awesome. Also, you can hear our shows at noon on Geek Life Radio every Saturday afternoon. What if I'm parasailing? And then you better have your iPod on. Oh. Yeah. This Saturday was another one of those Saturdays. It was a very suburban Saturday. <laughs> we, Did you go to Bed Bath & Beyond? No, we, we, painted, we painted the bathroom. And right. uh, then went to Ikea. So you got the bed and the bath part, just not the beyond. Yeah. Well, no, beyond. That store never freaking ends. And when you get out of there, you're like, God, I just spent 300 bucks on what? Shit. <laughs> 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 Though I did, I did discover how badly uh, Katie wanted her own room because she painted the entire ceiling by herself. Beige? No, white. Oh. Yeah, but no, she took, you know, roller on a stick, 14 years old, out there, just cranked out the ceiling, didn't miss a spot, did a second coat. <laughs> just like. Nice. Yeah. I was impressed. And uh, you guys know that I did something interesting this weekend. Yeah. Uh, I appeared as a uh, guest panelist on the Assembly of Geeks podcast. Oh, very nice. What was the topic this week? Uh, I was on a segment talking about uh, kids' adventure films like The Goonies, uh, The Explorers, E.T., and uh, discussing an article talking about why we don't seem to see those sorts of movies so much anymore. And when people try to imitate them, they kind of fall short. 
So it was hmm. a good conversation. And what's the, what's their uh, webpage? Uh, www.assemblyofgeeks.com. Fantastic. Didn't we think that uh, Super 8 was a pretty freaking good try, though? Yeah, but I mean, it definitely was tonally different. And it was just last week, I think, that you'd said that uh, your daughter walked by and took a look at it. I was like, this is not like the Goonies. Right. Well, yeah. yes. But uh, we also have more shows on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe. And if you would like to leave us a voicemail about any of the things that we have spoken about, are about to speak about, or may speak about in the future. Or you just want to berate us in general. Yeah, that seems to be the theme. Um <laughs> Yeah. 708 like, now wrap that's 708-669-9727 so josh i hear we have some voicemail <laughs> yes people have been using that number uh definitely quite a bit and we are glad to hear from them but uh yeah we're gonna be at this for a while kids so let's uh without further ado let's play the first one challenge fucking accepted <laughs> prepare yourself <laughs> and that what, was it what do we challenge him to <laughs> I think that was a result of the, to the trivia crack challenge. Oh, yes, oh. I believe that Patrick foolishly poked the bear last week. <laughs> oh, God, did you wear? And we are deeply embroiled in a battle as we speak. Yes, but the opening shots that were fired were very limp. They were, yeah. We both like got, did nothing in the first round. It was kind of sad, but he's winning at the moment, hmm. four to three. All right. I'm going to rectify that. <laughs> he said, "Wrecked him." Chad erect. I heard wrecked. <laughs> All right, moving across the pond. Okay, cricket. There's a guy, uh, Hogwarts, that you guys were talking about a few weeks ago. One for 113. Right, turns out he's a Kiwi, which I didn't know. But in case you want to know what the one for 113 meant, um, basically this guy, in one test match, he's only ever played one, um, he bowled 120 balls, or pitched 120 balls. Um, of that, he only got one person out, and he had 113 runs conceded off his bowling. So uh, put it towards baseball terms, I guess. If you had a pitcher in baseball and he threw 120 pitches, one of those, he struck someone out or rather caught someone out. Someone got caught out after they hit bowling. Um, other than that, 113 of that guy's pitches were a runner to base, which you can imagine that would make the score extremely high for baseball. And, yes, conceding that many runs in cricket is not good. <laughs> so, really, you just report it on someone who sucks at bowling. That's how you need to know. Um, also, this American football, I do understand, because thankfully there are plenty of movies and TV shows that explain that thing to me. Oh, that's true. Uh, I still don't understand why you do something, but I understand the rules of the game. Okay, fast. Fuck this one. <laughs> Yeah, there's not a whole lot of cricket movies out there to explain the rules. So. Yeah, and we were talking about that cricket uh, item in this weekend as if this guy was amazing because we didn't know any right. better. No, he stinks. Yep. <laughs> he, he was really terrible. Do we have a baseball coincidence to that at all? or He's amazingly bad. Well, that's what she said. It was like if they didn't retire a pitcher after like he threw 120 Batter. pitches and 113 of them got a guy on base. It didn't retire a batter. Yeah, oh. Somebody got lucky. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Like, so he stinks. So, screw that guy. I'm sorry I mentioned him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Hey, forty going on fourteen. It's Greg Lake Beat. So, uh, for about twenty five seconds, you guys mentioned those gigantic satellite dishes that they used to have, uh, and I have two stories. Well, two and a half. Um, so when I was a kid, uh, I had a neighbor that used to have one of those, and me and my brother and 
a neighbor girl and her sister, who are all kind of about the same age, used to hang out at their parents' house and watch whatever was going to be on the sunlight dish. We did that two or three times, and it was always weird. Like, they didn't quite know what to put on satellite TV back then. So we'd watch, like, these really weird claymation things. Uh, I remember one where they were basically, like, making fun of the book of Genesis. And it was, like, claymation, and they were making jokes about Adam and Eve and having a big family and that kind of stuff. I have no idea what the fuck it was, but it stands out of my mind for some reason. Story number two. Uh, so, in my second job, I sell uh, internet and cable subscriptions door-to-door, which is a terrible job, but you get to see some really weird things. Uh, so, for example, uh, I don't even remember how long ago this was, but I was walking past the house. It was abandoned, and it had one of those giant satellite dishes still. Uh, and it sort of made me think of, like, the all of the post-apocalyptic stuff where they're showing all these abandoned everything. The idea of a, of a giant abandoned satellite dish next to a house seems awkward and weird to me because I remember when those things were brand new, and now it's like they're ancient technology kind of thing. Uh, I have story number three. I had to try to explain to somebody one time. I made a I made a joke about those giant satellite dishes being, you know, like a third as strong as the tiny little new satellite dishes. <laughs> And this guy was probably in his 50s forever, had no fucking idea what I was talking about. He was like, what do you mean those ones aren't as powerful? They're huge. And I'm like, yeah, but that was back when, you know, computers were all slow and thing, and now it's like, you know, the computing power of NASA to put a man on the moon is in a pocket calculator, that kind of stuff. So, anyway, uh, that's all I got on ancient satellite dishes. Talk to you guys later. Bye. So much for that being half a story. What was the half story? Uh, about the, the third story was definitely not a half story. It was a full story. That's all I'm saying. I'd say the post-apocalyptic was more half story than the other one. Mm. I so, agree with that. So, yeah, some insights about uh, big satellite dishes from Peg Like Pete. Always glad to hear from you, Pete. I think those old satellite dishes, though, would be good for straining spaghetti, like large quantities of it. Moving on. What, what are you cooking spaghetti for, for a monster? Uh-huh. Don't talk about Amy like that. Oh. <laughs> That's a, that sounds like something that Will's grandmother would serve spaghetti in. That's not a voicemail. <laughs> Michael McDonald called us? <laughs> you know what? This is a listener. I've had enough of your goddamn candy bashing. Licorice is normally black. Licorice tastes like licorice. Red shit is not fucking licorice. So why do we have to identify black licorice and licorice when black licorice is technically licorice and it's fucking tasty? So, uh, also tastes great in Jaeger, because that's what I like to think it is. Licorice cough syrup. Licorice is a root that tastes like licorice. Red vines or red licorice is a candy product that's designed to look like they made licorice, but not taste like licorice. So, either use the right term, red vines, twizzlers, or whatever, because it's not fucking licorice. God damn it. Butts to the fucking front, assholes. Very well, <laughs> allow me to correct myself then. I hate licorice, and I love Twizzlers. <laughs> very enthusiastic about that. <laughs> no, I will. Talk about sucks. I don't care what you call it. It still sucks. I'm with Pat on this one. I can't do Although, Jägermeister uh, anymore. I'm more of a Red Vines man myself. This is a Twizzler house. When did we talk about licorice? I'm uh, sick I was, just thinking of Jägermeister. 
I think we were talking about licorice during the capsule toys episode. Yeah. Yeah, because it uh, spun out of us talking about various candies such as runt. Mm. Okay. Fucking uh, Jaeger I'm really enjoying you guys' uh, your, your video game, your console systems podcast. I remember when uh, when I was a young boy and uh, and I would play console games. I would always put in that cartridge at about the same time my mother would bring me a nice big glass of rich chocolate Ovaltine. And the thing with Ovaltine, it's it's not only delicious, but it's 12 vitamins and minerals in every glass too. And about the time I was ending that first round of whatever game I, I had to be playing, I would always be sure to say, more Ovaltine, please, Mom. Did we, well, did we get a sponsor? Well, that's our second unpaid commercial. <laughs> so Charlie's calling in so much he's on the Ovaltine dollar now. <laughs> Nobody else is. What? How, come, how come our callers can get sponsorship and we can't? <laughs> God. I need to screen these. <laughs> Why start now? We're already down the hill. Let's keep going. Oh, I know what's coming. Keep going. Hey, it's like, like it again. Uh, I guess I'm calling in a lot this episode, the Super Bowl episode. Probably going to call in at least one more time because I live in Seattle, and I'm sure I'm going to have opinions when you guys get talking to the actual game. But you are currently talking about the Space Shuttle Challenger issue, well, event, I guess. And uh, <clears throat> I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago, uh, talking about how uh, you get these things that are like shared cultural memories that may or may not have ever actually happened to individual people. And uh, what what I learned is that uh, you can look at the, the ratings for the Shuttle Challenger explosion, and there was actually very few people watching it live. And the idea that Everybody has these super strong memories of sitting in class watching the space shuttle explode. Uh, actually, probably didn't happen all that much. It's just that that's such a strong image that everybody sort of thinks that it happened to them. Um, I know, for instance, that I that that wasn't what happened to me because I had not been in school that day. And, like, I called out sick or something like that. And I heard later that the space shuttle exploded. And I heard that there was a teacher on the space shuttle when it exploded. And this is when I was, like, five years old. I thought that somehow my teacher was the teacher that was on the space shuttle when it exploded. Because when you're five, you don't really understand things existing outside of your immediate sphere of influence. Uh, so I remember being really freaked out until my parents were like, no, no, it was somebody else. But I thought it was interesting when I learned that, the, the shared cultural memory thing. Um, and I thought you guys might be interested, too. Uh, I will probably talk to you at least one more time, which I guess will be later. Bye. That's interesting. I mean, I cannot necessarily... Uh dispute the idea that maybe this is something that uh, I have a very clear memory of watching it in class, but uh, maybe it's something that didn't happen. I don't know. Well, but keep keep in mind, though, that if you've got a classroom of 10 or 15 all watching the same thing, the rating is going to look like one person. Yeah, so that's true. So saying that people in the school probably all saw it, yes, but people at home, you know, that might be a different story. Yeah, and I'm, I'm – rel- now I'm like 80% certain that I was in class watching it because I – 
they launched it in the morning and I had physics class. And there was no way he was going to, I mean, the physics teacher did part-time stuff over at uh, Fermilab. So there's no way he wasn't going to let us watch that, you know. It was a big deal because they had basically, you know, normal citizens yeah. there. So. Yeah. It was the first time a non-astronaut was going, you know, a civilian was going to go into space. It was a huge deal. I know, yeah. I know I saw it, but I didn't see it live. It was after the explosion already happened. They wheeled in TVs for everybody to watch the news on it and everything. Yikes. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Hey, kids, let's watch Death and Destruction. Yeah. Yep. Let's just wheel in some trauma. Oh, and here's some red vines. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think this, the counselor was bored, and she wanted some people to come in and entertain her. So she let's like, traumatize the kids. Mess some kids up so I can have something to do. All right. Okay. All right. Did you guys mention the Nintendo 64? I'm probably missed it somehow, and I'm pretty sure you would have brought it up. Unless it wasn't called that in America, which is highly likely now that I think about it. Anyway, Nintendo 64 was one of the main consoles I had growing up, and I loved GoldenEye. That game was amazing, and I spent far too much time playing it. These days, mostly play the Xbox One and the PS3. Um, Xbox One, Pat, do yourself a favor. I don't know why I just said that, but do yourself a favor and get Plants vs. Zombies uh, Garden Warfare, I believe it's called. It might sound dumb, but it was seriously so much fun. Um, yeah, just if you can pick that up, it's probably real cheap by now. It is a lot of fun. Um, and then my favourite series of games to play is actually the Lego games. Uh, running around, just smashing everything, playing with different characters. Yeah, just a lot of fun. And that's the fun. Hmm. Did we talk uh, about the 64? Zombies, I will definitely look into it. You never played. I don't played... know if we covered it. Uh, it was. I played the 64. Let me see. Yeah. I know I played uh, it. I remember playing, um, that, uh, South Park kart racing game on it. Yeah, I don't the... think we mentioned it. No, we totally skipped it. It's not oh. on the show notes. <clears throat> Holy crap. How do we do that? Yeah. I, I will say that one of the things about the N64 that I recall is that, uh, it had one of the most ridiculous video game controllers of all time, uh, with all sorts of unnecessary, you can grip it like this or this. There's a trigger over here. There's a button that only two games ever use over there. Uh, but they really did kind of, firm up that controller design for the GameCube. So I, I'm sure that it has its place in the development of like what you think of as a Nintendo controller today. Yeah, that controller, one, I mean, there was a little trigger on the bottom that you used for first-person shooters. Then there was little yellow buttons. Which I remember the yellow buttons were used for like Zelda and Smash. Yeah. That was about that the, it. Is that the controller that kind of looked like the Batman symbol? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, the only, like, I ended up getting my 64 personally really late, and it was because I was working at a Game Crazy, and we didn't take 64s or 64 games, but a kid wanted to sell his 64 and his copy of Legend of Zelda gold cartridge. And I, like, looked up what we used to buy it for when we bought it and uh, shelled the cash out of my wallet and bought the uh, system and the games, and I still have it now. Nice. Remember the uh, the booster pack that you had to put in the top if you wanted to play uh, GoldenEye? Little RAM increaser, little red thing you had to slam in the top? Yeah. So, cool. Yeah, my brother was really into GoldenEye. It's uh, one that I never quite got into. Hmm. All right, keeping this train going. Chugga, 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 chugga. 
Hey guys, uh, further listening to your show about video games, uh, I would just like to mention that Powerade is delicious and it cools you off on a hot summer day, and we all look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Thank you. <laughs> what the hell is going on? <laughs> now a word from our sponsor. What? Wow, now, now he's just calling us up and quoting movies. <laughs> I don't understand. What's happening, Joel? What's happening, Pat? What's happening, guys, at Parks, Joel or Pat? Uh, I just wanted to call in with a quick comment, uh, something I believe is close to all of our hearts, and I want to portray out to your listenership, if you aren't chewing Big Red, then fuck you. <laughs> uh, I don't... <laughs> He's channeling Ricky Bobby now, which seems very appropriate. Really gotta start screenings. <laughs> oh my god. I have the show idea. I don't think you've done this before, but then again, I did kind of forget about the CBD episode, which I don't know how that happened because I love CBD, but after a while, they all blur together and I can't remember what you've talked about and what you haven't, sorry. Um, but as I was thinking about my trip in August, same promotion, and how two weeks of it is going to be spent driving, um, I kept thinking about what I used to do when I went on family road trips when I was younger. Uh, games that we would play, the fact that I didn't do too well with going over hills, they needed to throw up a lot. Um, but also like the places that we used to stop at um, regularly, like the, this would be the place we'd always stop on our way, you know, to wherever we were going, to hear us up very big, so it was usually one road you drove along. But yeah, road trips, what happened when you were a kid and you went on family road trips, what happens now if you go on a family road trip or a road trip or whatever. Maybe in between when you go on road trips to, you know, college years to concerts and crazy things. I thought there was a pretty good episode there, but again, you may have already talked about it. So much promotion for my trip. Bye. That's awesome. I do road trips all the time still. I mean, you guys know that. I drive up to Chicago all the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I know that uh, definitely Joel and Mike are leaving for Gen Con the summer the same day. Uh, heck, I mean, it, depending on what time uh, Sarah and I leave, I know Pat's coming from a little further away, but maybe maybe we can make a road trip of it. Well, I know Joel and I are driving down together. Yep. And in two weeks, I'm driving down to Florida. So, And I'm driving to uh, Kansas City and Colorado in June. So, Yeah, and I know I do uh, camping trips off and on. So, yeah, that's that's an excellent idea, and I'm sure we will be – Checking that out and doing that as a show. Yeah, I already awesome. added it. Cool. Okay. Brought to you by M and I also want to say real quick, you know, if we're if we're just going to start advertising all kinds of things, I'm not going to let just them advertise. I'm going to advertise. My food truck is opening up next month, March 28th. It's my grand opening of Cheesy Rider. Nice. So thank you. I'm just. Gonna and if you aren't eating Cheesy stuff. Rider, then fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> At a local curb near you. So if, if you live in Houston, come see the Cheesy Rider next month. Awesome. Moving on. Oh my God, there's more. Oh, there's more. All right, look, I'm sorry I'm calling in so much. It's Craig Lakeby. But I'm driving to work. I got nothing else to do besides listen to podcasts and call into them. So you guys got the short end of the stick this time. Uh, you guys are talking about geeks and sports and geeks not liking sports. Uh, I have two specific exceptions. Normally, I'm not a sports person at all. Not that I don't get the rules. I just don't care. Two exceptions. Uh, if you take me to a live sporting event, I will care. I don't like watching sports on TV or, God forbid, try to listen to them on the radio because that seems super, super lame and dull and boring to me. Uh, unless Seattle is involved in some way, then I'm interested. But um, 
if you take me to a live sporting event, I will care. Uh, for example, we've started going to live hockey games at the local uh, WHL team, which is turns out a ton of fun because there's a huge crowd there and you get really pumped and excited and all that kind of stuff. The other exception is that I am, for some reason, I am a freak for watching the Olympics every, uh, well, every two years, because every two years there's a different Olympics on. I will actually legitimately take like two weeks off from work to sit at home and watch the Olympics all day, every day for two weeks. It drives my family crazy because I'm like, shut up. I can't go out right now. I'm watching, you know, I'm watching water polo or I'm watching, you know, cross-country snowboarding, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, making a suit I have no idea why, except that it was a big deal to watch the Olympics for my family growing up, so it's a big deal for me to watch them now. Um, all right, that's it. I'm almost to work, so I might not actually call you guys again. Uh, anyway, like, later. Bye. It watches the Olympics again or else it gets the hose again. <laughs> You know, aside from the taking a couple of weeks off uh, work thing, that's actually pretty close to the way I view sports. Like, I, I'm much more into them if I go to see a live game, though it's been a couple of years. Uh, if the home team is involved in an important game, I'll even watch it on TV. And, yes, I, I watch quite a bit of the Olympics. I don't watch all of it. But I, when it's on every two years, whether it's a winter or summer, I'll probably watch a couple of hours each day. Yeah, a few years ago, I really got into curling. For some reason or another, I was watching uh, the curling uh, curling uh, events really got to me. Because His hair was there are, there are no, there are no be- more beautiful women in any country than the women that are on the curling team, apparently. They're like supermodels. Every single female curling team hmm. is just gorgeous. It's weird. I started watching curling just because I was I was sitting in a, in a sports bar, and it was like on one TV, and I just happened to look up, and it was like Sweden playing Japan, and it was like watching a, you know, the Victoria's Secret model show. Nice. And yeah. yet, ironically, they have straight hair. Uh, <laughs> Suzanne's cousin lives up in Minnesota, and they actually have a curling team that he's on. I know. It's, it's like it's basically like shuffleboard on ice, and and like you know times ten. They just, yeah. These giant stone pucks. And the curling brooms are not cheap. The one that he has is like two hundred dollars. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure there's a difference. Yeah, I <laughs> guess. But I really, I mean, I don't care about the Olympics at all. I the last time I watched the Olympics on purpose was uh, the the first Dream Team back in like what was that 1988 or whatever? I don't know. Wow, that was a while ago. Yeah. So because I just I don't care about the Olympics. So is anybody else called? Oh yeah, I got two more. Whoa. This voicemail is about nothing other than the fact that acknowledging this, I have just one used four times in a row to leave four separate voicemails because I was hoping to have more voicemails uh, than Charlie. So, <laughs> fingers crossed, Charlie doesn't leave more than four voicemails this week. That's the thing. It's oh. not a contest. Here we go. This it's is going to get badly. It is I now. Got, <laughs> I got bad news for you because here's number five from Charlie. Oh. Hey, fellas. Uh, listen to the show. It's Wish Take Cold this morning. It got me to thinking. I'd really like to go to Santa Fe to escape this horrible cold winter. Santa Fe, New Mexico, with nearly a dozen golf courses in the area. Santa Fe offers championship greens with views so stunning they'll knock your Argyle socks off. And after a couple rounds of golf, maybe I could go visit any of the eight northern pueblos to engage in the ghosts of the past or creative spirits of today. Santa Fe was rated number one cultural destination in the country by leisure and travel. Santa Fe, a city different. This ad was paid for by Santa Fe Tourism Board. Well, I'm so glad Santa Charlie. Fe, better than adequate. <laughs> 
anchors so glad to Charlie has been able to monetize listening to our show. <laughs> oh I, I honestly wonder if his thought process this week was, I wonder if I just record a bunch of commercials, if these dumb assholes will just play them. And the answer is yes. Yes. We yes, will. We will. <laughs> I, I was going to say... The, the rules for next week may change because Josh is going to start pre-screening the voicemail. We got to start vetting this shit <laughs> because this will this will turn into a just a, a nuclear arms race between the two of them, and we'll end up with like thirty-seven voicemails each in like two weeks. So, how did the war between the United States and New Zealand start? Well, you're not going to believe it, but it's all over these four idiots. <laughs> It has never been more about that time than it is right now. <laughs> this week in music, movies, and TV. Sports. <laughs> I refuse, you should have done it in uh, in L's voice. Um, sports <laughs> and sports. There he goes. This weekend, August 1st, 1982, it is the date that the Cave of Time, a first choose-your-own-adventure book, is printed. That's weird. We did 1982 two weeks in a row. That's cool. Oh, well. Eye of the Tiger by Survivor is the number one song on the radio. Abracadabra by Steve Miller knocks it off in September. Wow. It lasts from now to September? Yep. Huh. That song was huge. Must have been a movie or something attached to it. Rocky, yeah, maybe you've heard of it. Yeah, I'm... Okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's really sad that a song as great as Eye of the Tiger is knocked off by Steve Miller Band's worst hit. By far their worst hit. Go, just going to reach prove out my, and my theory again. That's just another song prove my theory. I'm with you. Mm. Uh, yeah, Eye of the Tiger was like a really important part of like all of my workout MP3 mixes. All right. So albums well, released. The thrill of the fight? Is that why you used it? <laughs> Whether I was running, lifting, whatever, Eye of the Tiger was always in there. It's a standard you need that one. That's a pump you up song. It really is. It is. It's probably like the pump you up song. I mean, when that, when that first riff starts, you know, I mean, it's just, you're like, yeah. All right. So the al- albums released this week were Vacation by the Go-Go's, The Art of Control by Peter Frampton, and Billy Idol by Billy Idol. There you go. Yep. All right. So Keith Gordon Green was an American contemporary Christian music pianist, singer, and songwriter. That is, until July 28th, 1982, when he died in a plane crash. <laughs> wow. Downer. What? I yeah. thought we were going to, like, he became Alice Cooper or something, yeah. you know. <laughs> but instead, it's, he just died. He died. Uh, there must yeah, be a, the twee always must have death. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always always about death somehow. I mean, uh, I was waiting for something. Like, he, like, invented Cheese Whiz or he, you know pioneered the electric car but no he invented just died. cheese whiz he just died Either electrified way. cheese whiz <laughs> you got my cheese whiz boy no wonder he died <laughs> yikes pink floyd's the wall is released in theaters on august 6th but nobody could see it huh what it was a wall are walls invisible in your life there was a wall in the way just go forward we need to start screening these too <laughs> We're going to have Joel record his his little bits ahead of time. Summer of... Oh, wait, movies. It's the summer of Spielberg, as E.T. is in the number one spot from the beginning of summer through October. Occasional movies knock it off for one or two weeks, like The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas and Friday the 13th Part 3 in so 3D. Good. But it climbs back up each time. Just like Jason Voorhees. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Part 3 is my favorite by far. Me too. Movies released this week. Night Shift. Then... 
Tato, T-A-T-A-O, acronym of the week. Yes, that's uh, Tom Arnold's Tantric Anal Orgasm. (laughs) Oh, Tom. (laughs) I've heard they last up to 15 hours. Oh, my God. (laughs) I think we lost Mike. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, shit. Now there's a visual I got to drink out of my brain. Okay, Google. No. <laughs> and uh, the last American virgin. But that, that, by the way, t- uh, Tattoo, that is uh, Things Are Tough All Over, the Cheech and Chong movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Whenever I think of Cheech and Chong, first thing pops in my head is Nice Dreams. Uh, yeah, I thought you were going to say me, so I'm glad you didn't. For once, I don't uh, don't prefer my own version. Yeah. Uh, Abby Cornish is born August 7th, 1982. She's an Australian actress known for her award-winning lead performance in 2004's Somersault and her appearance as Sweet Pea in Sucker Punch. She also played Alex Murphy's wife in Robocop. Oh, yeah, the remake. Yeah. yeah. It'd be kind of weird if she played his wife in the 80, 80s version. Right. She was six. <laughs> they were different times, the 1980s. <laughs> and TV. Screw you, Patrick. Oh, my God. Yvonne <sighs> Jacqueline Strakowski. Oh, well, that, that's Yeah, good. I was going to say, that that looks like just Strakowski. Yeah. There's a lot of extra uh, consonants in there, but that's uh, Eastern European names. Had to, ex- you know, pull up the Polak for that one. <laughs> uh, better known by the stage name, Yvonne Strakowski. I don't know how you confuse it, too. Strahorsky. Strahorsky. Strahovsky. Strahovsky. I can't, yeah, I can't Strahovsky. pronounce the shorter one. Is born July 30th, 1982. Australian actress known for portraying CIA agent Sarah Walker in the NBC television series Chuck. And what just happened? And Hannah McKay in the series Dexter. Nice. Yeah, you know, I've heard I'd love the show Chuck. I just haven't gotten around to it. You would. People tell me all the time. It's very good. Uh, Allison Mack, American actress, director, and producer, born on July 29th, 1982, and best known for her role of Chloe Sullivan on Smallville and Amanda on Wilfred. I like that. And I didn't even bother. I'm sure it's, you know, Cosby Ties, Family Ties, and Cosby Show, and Cosby Ties, Family family something. Whatever. Yeah, Yeah, it's all them, and Cheers, and shit. All right. So, um, let's see. Sport. Do the last one. Do the last one? (laughs) Uh, And then sport. Do two. All right. The second one and the last one. Second one and the last one. August 4th, Joel Youngblood made a baseball history by getting a hit in two different cities for two different teams against two Hall of Fame pitchers all on the same day. Wow. He played an afternoon game for the Mets, was traded in the middle of the game after getting a hit in his second at bat. He flew to Philadelphia where he played in a game that that night and he got a single there as well. Huh. That's not going to happen often. No, I figured that was impressive enough to mention. All on the same day. That's awesome. Yep. So... And then Vladimir Viktorovich Smirnov, the Soviet foil fencer who won the gold medal in the individual men's foil in the 1980 Summer Olympics. During the 1982 World Championships in Rome, Smirnov was fencing Matthias Baer of West Germany. Baer's blade broke during the action, and the broken, broken blade went through the mesh of Smirnov's mask, ah, through his eye and into his brain. Smirnov died nine days later. Oh, <laughs> that's a shitty nine days. Oh, my right God. Smirnov's accident was the driving force behind the significant improvement in safety gear and fencing. No I hope shit. so. <laughs> oh, like, man. We should make sure that doesn't happen again. 
just uh, reminds me of when we did uh, complete works of William Shakespeare because I uh, did some amateur fencing training and had combat sword training. And uh, Mike, didn't. who was in that show with me, did not. I kept hamstringing you every. <laughs> I just remember we had to do this practice where I was supposed to disarm you. And all we had to do is, like, I go around three times to get the sword out of your hand and then flip it up. And all you have to do is throw it so it rainbows so I can catch it in my hand. You hit me in the head with it. (laughs) It went off the stage. It went backstage. Almost stabbed Jay. Probably one of the more dangerous things I did in all my years on stage and screen was um, fake sword fight with Mike. Hey, I'm honored. I really am. <laughs> I feel like I've I've made my place in stage and theater now. All right. So, growing up, everything was cool. Then one day I got one of those little remember those book order things in school. Oh yeah, like the Scholastic Book Club. Yes, little sheet and you order your book and like two weeks later you get your books and i, I got, love those those were so fun those were, yeah they were the best getting those ever um was like every two weeks or so or once a month kids are never gonna know that kind of joy <laughs> of choosing books they, out of that thing i know do they not do that anymore no i know nope. they still at the schools they still have book fairs which were always awesome do they but, yeah oh that that warms my little heart yeah. my heart just grew three sizes uh-huh. now it's the size of a quarter <laughs> well back in God, it must have been like, what, third grade? And uh, <clears throat> got my first copy, The Cave of Time, 1979. was the first. Cavern. cavern of Time or Cave of Time? Cavern. Tavern? Tavern. Yeah, is it Cavern or Cave? Because we got we, we had a cave on one and cavern on the other. Oh. I don't know. I don't know. Here we go. Some of our top-notch reporting right there. There we go. Cave of Time. <laughs> now it's officially The Cave of Time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See what delete can do? Fixes these Sorry problems. Sorry for your luck, Edward Packard. So, Cave of Time, the first choose-your-own-adventure book uh, written by, um, was it R- uh, Was Edward Packard? And My World Was Opened. I just oh. love the heck out of this thing. These pipes are clean. It definitely is The Cave of Time by Edward Packard. Yes. Cave? Okay. So, uh... Popularization of these books came actually started out in the 70s, spearheaded by uh, developments in the English-speaking world, according to Wikipedia. But there was actually a series of books in over in Europe called the Tracker series. They were actually the first books that had a interactive adventures covering a bunch of different genres. Uh, the dozen titles released in the UK between 72 and 80. They were considered the precursor to the Choose Your Own Adventure series, but uh, it wasn't until Edward Packard came up with the idea uh, of branching path novels while telling bedtime stories to his kids in the 60s. He wrote one in 69 called Sugarcane Island, got published in 76, and under the Adventure of You series, and it was then joined by Journey Under the Sea by R.A. Montgomery. And then they took the idea of interactive books to Bantam, and made the money-making machine that is the Choose Your Own Adventure series, starting in '79 with the uh, with the Cave of Time, and now the they're incredibly popular across the world, still being published, and they have been translated into more than 25 different languages. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Cave of Time, uh, first one, Choose Your Own Adventure. You guys have your own little pack of Choose Your Own Adventure books. I, I have, have a couple. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I have um, six of them somewhere. I couldn't find them, unfortunately. They must be in a box back at my house somewhere. But um, what I mainly did was uh, go to the library and check them out. Hmm. 
Yeah, my first introduction to this sort of thing was actually through the Scholastic Book Club. And Scholastic had their own line of these called Twistaplot. Now, Twistaplot would have otherwise, if not for the author of the first, fourth, ninth, and fourteenth, would have just been this footnote of Scholastic's knockoff of Choose Your Own Adventure. But the author of those books was R.L. Stein, who went on to write Goosebumps. Nice. So, yeah, and I believe I have the first twist of plot, which was the Time Raider. I know I, just this afternoon, I reread uh, Horrors of the Haunted Museum, which was number nine. Uh, and I've also got four, which is the Golden Sword of Dragonwalk. Uh, yeah. When it comes to the rest of the style, I, I'm pretty sure I told the full story in our Origins episode of how I found boxes and boxes of fantasy novels and choose-your-own-adventures and fantasy game books in the alley like, I don't know, half block down from my house as it was starting to rain and I was frantically dragging the box back down the alley to the house. <laughs> and my life was forever changed because I want to say the first reference to Dungeons & Dragons was in one of those books. There was a copy of the Mail Order Hobby Shop, which had a catalog with a bunch of role-playing games. Like, I can honestly say virtually every formative moment of my life, including all but one job I've had, meeting you guys... Meeting and marrying my wife all was directly traced to that moment, finding that box of books and dragging it down the alley. In an alternate dimension, there is a Josh out there that's a chartered accountant. <laughs> Who never walked down that alley. <laughs> I doubt it. I still suck I at math. Maybe an MMA fighter. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so uh, the, uh, the one that I remember, I mean, there was a Cave of Time. That was the first one. Do you remember... Um, inside spaceship 5440 where you get abducted by aliens no i didn't have that one yeah there was one you get abducted there's a really difficult part in the middle about the probing scene but uh if you make the right choices you get (laughs) if you if you succumb to the alien alien anal probe turn to page 69 yes and bend over (laughs) so uh this book in your ass Yeah. I actually uh, read one of the Choose Your Own Adventures that was called, uh, like, Lost at Sea. You're, oh. like, trying to survive a uh, shipwreck uh, when you're out trying to track the last living dinosaur. Oh, neat. And uh, oh. an earthquake hits the area that your ship is in, and a new island sprouts up. And there are different adventures involving going to the new island or encountering the dinosaur or just, like, everybody except you and the other kid on the ship dying and, like... Trying to not, like, just starve to death. These were pretty tough when I was a kid. These were, I mean, I initially you, you got through them and you wanted to do them right, where you make your choice and flip back and forget where you were. But then you had the keep your finger in the last choice in case you die in the next page and you can just flip back to the next one. Okay, so I'm not the only one. Didn't turn all the way. <laughs> it's not official. Yeah, everybody, I think, did that quick save where you have have your spot marked, especially when you think you're going to do something dangerous. Let's be honest, some of the choices that involved the character dying were just like, go left or right, and you went left, so you're dead, and that was bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You turn left and fall in a hole and break your neck. What the hell? <laughs> like- well, what I, what I used to do, <clears throat> I didn't just um, explore, you know, one option. Every single page I came to that I had a choice, I would dog ear it. And then when I was done going through one way, I would go back to the last dog ear, go the opposite way, and I would go through every single option. So by the time I was done, I read every single page. Yeah, I know I did that with at least a few of them. 
So I did that with every one of them because it was an obsession to have to read every page. And then I would sometimes like mark pages as I read them. And then I found out, interestingly enough, some books had extra pages that yep. you never got to turn to, and then we had, and it had just like random text in it. Huh? Trying to throw you off. I did not exactly, know that. Yeah. Neat. So I I bided my time with the Choose Your Own Adventure books for a little while. And then in 1982, I remember this, the Crocs and Brentanos at Fox Valley Mall in Aurora. I came across Steve Jackson's fighting fantasy game book number one, The Warlock of Firetop Mountain. This is a game of a, a book that had merged the joy of Choose Your Own Adventure into the delight of Dungeons & Dragons by making you roll up a character and actually have combat through the game. I have about 30 of these books. <laughs> it's and they range from all different I mean the Warlock Firetop Mountain is the 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 first in the series and there's like uh Cavern of the Snow Queen and they go through a whole bunch of uh, uh fantasy based ones including my favorite which is Death Trap Dungeon which is basically a group of adventurers go into a dungeon try to make their way through the labyrinth of the dungeon to the other side for glory and riches and I've actually I have that under a um uh uh, D&D module, too, a 3.5 module. But um, that one, I uh, actually got a couple of them taken away when I was in grade school because silent reading time apparently doesn't include rolling dice. <laughs> you need a J to give you a little program on your calculator to roll your dice. Yeah, I didn't have calculators like that back then. Uh, this was like, God, this was like sixth grade. Yeah, you know? I'm looking. I have one fighting fantasy game book in front of me right now from uh, the shelves. Uh, must have been from that same original box back in the mid '80s, and this one is Freeway Fighter by oh! Ian Livingstone. Is it the, the black one? Yeah, it's like Road Warrior style. Yes, yeah, it's. I think it's loosely based on Steve Jackson's Car Wars because mm -hmm. you have a sheet for your driver, and you also have a sheet for a Dodge Interceptor with uh, rockets, iron spikes, and barrels of oil. Yep, and you have to keep the car fueled up too. Yeah, it looks like you've also got two spare tires, and you could like blow through both of your spares. Yeah, because then I don't remember this game at all. No, this it was yeah, it was one of the books, man. It was For cool. This book, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, you had book. two different. You basically had two different characters. You just take care of your car, get it repaired, make sure that the um the tires are repaired. And if you ran out of one, this is the first time I had discovered that uh it was known as petrol in UK. Because for the longest time, I'm like, you run out of petrol. I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Why did I need it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so Mike, does, does our car have petrol? It's called gas, Michael. Oh, well, that makes more sense. <laughs> well, and I'm looking at this one, and one observation I had earlier when I was going through my stock of the Choose Your Own Adventure is, like, they were 120 pages, and they were padded as hell. Because you would have one page that has, like, four sentences, mm -hmm. and then the next page was a two-page illustration with, like, six words. But the illustrations yeah. were awesome. But, like, you get to this one, and, yeah, there are illustrations, but uh, they're packed with text. Like, as soon as you get the game mechanics in here, all of a sudden, there's a lot more writing. It's, there's a lot more density of uh, That's all when, the different... Yeah, they started getting really thick right around, um, like, Starship... God, what's it called? Starship Explorer or something like that. There was there was one that was set in outer space where and it it was a lot more complex than the original. It's like because the uh, Warlock Firetop Mountain was a pretty thin book. It did have a lot of that. Oh, you turn left or turn right. Oh, turn right, turn. Look in here. Do you look in the cabinet or not look in the cabinet? Okay, turn here. It was you know little like you said little short blurbs with you know the standard uh, page art on the pages. 
But, you know, there was, they actually came out with a, uh, there was a sequel to the uh, Death Trap Dungeon one called Trial of Champions, which brought you back into the uh, the dungeon after it had been remade by the guy who did it. And that was another one where they had padded, I mean, it's not padded it, but where they had uh, made it a little bit more interactive, a little bit more decisions, a little more combat, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm just looking at all of the different uh, versions of these I have. And uh, in the same vein as the fighting fantasy, uh, we've got uh, Heroes Challenge, Sword Quest, Grail Quest, uh, Middle Earth Quest. Um, let's see. <clears throat> and, well, of course, there's Lone Wolf, which is its own thing. Yeah. Um, Endless Quest. Dungeons and Dragons put together, they're like 1982, actually before Steve Jackson. They're like, we gotta get in on this. Dungeon of Dread came out, written by Larry Elmore. Uh, amazingly drawn, because Larry Elmore. <laughs> uh, this one was another one of those awesome, it was Choose Your Own Adventure, but set in the D&D world, which to me made it that much better. Oh yeah. Yeah, could, I've got a bunch of these. Uh, uh the Rainbow Dragons. Yeah, Revenge of the I, Rainbow I, Dragons is yeah, exactly one of my, the one that's in my right hand right now. That's that is crazy. one of my favorites. I love that that's book. That's one that I own too. Yeah. yeah. That was that was a great one. Um yeah, that is a good one. I actually lucked out uh, a couple of years ago, went to the library and they were cleaning out the kids sections and they had a whole bunch of the hard copy uh hardcover versions of these of a bunch of uh, endless quest books for like 50 cents a piece. Nice. Yeah, so I came back with like a dozen more. And these are kind of the exception to my loose rule about saying like the ones with game stats in them tend to have more density of text and the choose your own adventures do not because there's a lot like I was just looking each section seems to be like two or three pages. Oh, yeah. The Endless Quest books were a lot thicker in the reading than they were in the choosing part. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it's still only about 160 pages, uh, but uh, a lot of that, even though there are some full-page illustrations, it's not like uh, you don't have the half a page of text and then two pages of pictures. Yeah. So, uh, Find Your Fate books. First one of those is called The Case of the Weeping Coffin, and the cool thing about the Find Your Fate books is that they took on actual licensed uh, characters. So you can have a G.I. Joe Find Your Fate book in Indiana Jones. There was also Transformers and Doctor Who Find Your Fate books. I never read so, these. yeah, these things must have been huge to the point where they're like, okay, well, how are we going to be competitive in this big choose-your-own-adventure market? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing is that I didn't realize until we started talking about it that there were so many freaking choose-your-own-adventure books at the time. And it doesn't seem like... Are you talking like, about knockoff versions or, or actual choose-your-own-adventure Knockoffs. Books? Like, hey, we got to, like, like Josh said, Middle-Earth Quest. J.R.R. Tolkien's, you know, family said, hey, we got to get in on this. I have a couple of them. I have a Knight of the Nazgul and another one. Well, it's just like anything else. As soon as something starts making money, all the copycats come out. Oh, yeah. Well, and uh, Middle Earth Quest was a particularly good one. I would say the only one that was better is, once again, I'm going to mention Lone Wolf because I think we're about to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But uh, aside from Lone Wolf, uh, Middle Earth Quest was about the best. <clears throat> Middle Earth Quest. Uh, you had... Depth of stats. Uh, the one I've got here is called Treason at Helm's Deep. Yep. You've got a full color map of the Hornburg Mount on uh, Helm's Deep and the, uh, like the West Fold. Yeah, nice. they didn't mess around with those. And the one, the Night of the Nazgul one that has stats for the Nazgul and you have to have, you know, it's, they, and, and they don't, uh, exactly skimp on the story either. Those things were pretty thick and had a lot of good story in them. 
Yeah, and you're not just necessarily having to play a pre-generated character. There's character creation rules mm-hmm. where you've got a point system where, depending on what your main weapon is, it costs you a certain number of points. Yep, and these were awesome yeah. for the fact that when you go to a Lutheran middle school, you can't exactly find a lot of people to play D&D with. Just saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very true. Especially <laughs> in the middle of the middle 80s, you know, when they see you pull out your, uh, you know, your um, Playmasters, you know, DM's Guide and the... Yeah, that was when they were showing those after-school specials where the guy who played Dungeons & Dragons ended up stabbing a guy in an alley. Yeah, when Tom Hanks got lost in the sewer and became a uh, a cosplayer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know what's funny? I I had the same... I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, I had the same problem where, like, you know, going to the Christian school and everything and having a very, very Christian mother, you know, she wouldn't buy me any of the books. I was allowed to rent them from, you know, to to check them out from the library. And, like, if I could buy my own, you know, somehow I could, you know, she would allow them, but she wouldn't buy them for me. See, that's where it went different with me because my mom actually bought me my first red box. And every every year she was like, man, Christmas is easy. Just get you a shitload of these books and you're happy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, my mom was working uh, as a as a youth uh, as a youth volunteer at the church, so she couldn't be seen buying me satanic principles and shit. So. Oh god. Yeah, yeah, I was at a very very small Lutheran school, but for some reason, like there weren't that many kids my age. But uh, we all had D and D books, and uh, I remember there was one Sunday school teacher that had an issue with them, and she was a good friend of my mom's, and my mom was like, I don't know about these, and I basically like made my case. It's like here. Here's the books. Uh, go over them. See if you can find anything troubling, and we'll talk about it. And I was pretty young at this point, and the Sunday school teacher couldn't find anything in particular. She just didn't care for it. So I pretty much walked away from that uh, particular argument with no further problems. Nice. I just see little Josh pulling out a dry erase board. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's where you're wrong. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, some of the other ones that were around, like uh, they had said the Twist of Plot ones were Scholastic's line. Uh, Grail Quest. I never played Grail Quest, but I've heard of it. And uh, Sword Quest. I know I've got a couple of those floating around that I just picked up because. Yeah, Sword Quest. I've got here Quest for the Unicorn's Horn in front of me. Mm-hmm. And Grail Quest. I've got the Gateway of Doom. Yeah, I've got like these paperbacks like all around me now. Neat. Hey, real, there's, just real quick. What's not listed here? Um, I had uh, the first book of the uh, the Zork series, The Forces of Krill. Nice. Yeah. Um, and I actually went through that that thing. I liked it so much that I uh, took it and and ma- mapped out the actual dungeon and everything that was in there. Oh, I totally did that. Turned it into a and d adventure and ran some characters through it. Oh, I, I never went that far, but I definitely had, well, my, you know, you playing D&D in these games back in the 80s. Of course you had graph paper in your bag. Why would you not? Exactly. But especially the ones like in the, in the, in the, um, shooting, not the fighting fantasy books, especially in, uh, Death Trap Dungeon, you needed to plot that stuff out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you turn left, you turn right. Do you go back the way you came? Well, shit, I don't remember where I came from. You got to write that stuff out somewhere. Otherwise you get eaten by the manacore. <laughs> and now, nobody puts that. No, except Pat, the manager. Did you had? Did you know that there are three more books in that series? Yeah, I just had the first one. Was I, I wasn't? I, I didn't get my hands on the other three. Yeah, the Malifestro Quest, Cavern of Doom, and Conquest at Quendor. Yeah, yeah. Because it was basically either I had to get a job to buy my choose your own adventure books, or I could just steal them. So I just stole the ones that I wanted. Nice. Yeah, well, you know. So, we'll jump back for a little bit. Steve Jackson also put out, after, along with uh, Fighting Fantasy Game Books, he created S- Steve Jackson's Sorcery. Started out with the Shumantani Hills. This was a four-book series, with a fifth book being the Spellbook, 
which was really uh-huh. cool. Um, yeah, these books were a little bit bigger than the other ones. Uh, my set of all of them is actually in this, still in very, very good shape. Yeah. Now, the cool um, thing about them was, well, you played, a, you can play a spellcaster, you rolled up your character, you had definitely had stats, and there was combat, just like in Fighting Fantasy. But in this one, they added the extra thing of you being able to cast spells. Now, in the spells, they were like, the name of the spell was Hot or zap. We could figure that was fireball or lightning bolt, but then you had like puck and all these different three-letter words. The yes, p- and you could study your spell book, which was actually you uh, memorizing as many three-letter codes as you could remember, mm-hmm. and then you were not allowed while you were playing the game book to refer back to your spell book. At all. Now, that was the way you were supposed to play it. Now, if you play it the way Mike did, you got <laughs> Shumantani Hills the first time, they didn't have the spell book when you bought that, so you went for a year and a half trying to figure out what the hell was going on with these damn codes. And then it wasn't until years later that you found the spell book at Gen Con, and you're like, God damn it, now this all makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at a sample encounter from Shamatani Hills, which I actually have right here, and they'll have, uh, will you cast a spell? And they'll have uh, five different three-letter codes. Some of them are real spells that might require a material component that you either did or did not pick up at a previous point in the adventure, mm-hmm. and some of them are just plain fake. Like, oh, you tried to cast this, you're cheating, yeah. we're going to charge you points off your character for doing you, this. Yeah, yeah. you do this, Deduct- you take... You but take- again, if you're already cheating, what are the odds that you're going to follow the rules and go and do that? Or you didn't know what the rules were in the first place and died every fifth page. <laughs> yeah, Deduct five stamina points. There is no such spell as this. Return yeah. to 87 and choose again. Yep. And I would just be like, no, I'm just going to go back to 87. <laughs> Well, what's funny is uh, some of these series actually planned for people who are going to cheat like that. And I think now it's time to talk about Joe Deaver's epic series, Lone Wolf. Yes. Flight from the Dark, number one, 1984. Now, I don't have a complete set. I'm missing, I want to say, two of the first 13. Um, But I have played through them over the years. I want to say at one point my set was complete or I was able to check the missing ones out of the library. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about this is you have one character and your decisions from one book might not even affect your decisions in the same book. Like whether or not you picked up a certain item, encountered a certain character, whatever, it might be two books later. And then you will see the consequences of your actions. Yep, that now, was one of you want. And the, just the coolest thing is that you have these thir- this thirteen book series that you play the same character and level up through it. You get stronger, you get more experience. Yes. I mean, it's it was all. I mean, it was playing D anD D without having to deal with a, with a, with a DM, and it was awesome. Well, and the most powerful magic weapon was this sword that you'd pick up. Uh, I want to say in like book two or three. And you get to a spot where because you have this magic weapon and you're kicking ass in combat all the way up until you get to a spot where this sword is artifact quality. And if you have it, a demon shows up and it is the hardest fight in the entire uh, book. Like you're most likely, even with this awesome sword, going to die. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the sword, you just pass it. And I thought yeah. that was kind of interesting because you're like, oh, do you have the awesome magical artifact sword? Well, of course I do. And whether you have it legit or not, or you just decided to cheat, yeah, you're about to get railed by a demon. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Looking at it, there was four series to it, uh, or the Kai series, Magna Kai, Grandmaster, and the New Order series, and then went up to 32 books. So yes. now, uh, I, uh, oh no, oh, I, go I got some, cause they, when I was working at, um, Starbucks years ago, you know, just, you get to know the people that come there, and one guy came in, and he's like, you know what, uh, I know you're into gaming and that sort of thing, you know, with conversations with the head, he goes, we're just cleaning out the house, I wanted to know if you wanted these books, books one through twelve of the Lone Wolf series, and he's like, I, you know, it was my, my son's, I'm like, yeah, where's your son now, hoping he doesn't say dead, oh no, he's out of college and stuff, we're just cleaning out, and I felt for a moment really bad. But then at the same moment, I'm like, well, if anyone's going to get the, you know, going to get this, it's better off to be me because I know what they are versus, you know, selling them for a quarter at a, uh, you know, at a garage sale. So I have books one through 12 and I feel kind of bad about it. If you're out there, if you're listening, oh God, I hope you're not Charlie. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> there was also a sequel to these, uh, and I only have the first two. It was, uh, but a completely different protagonist. And I'm not just talking about the New Order series. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the name of the character though. I, I didn't actually dig this one off the shelf, but you were playing like a wizard instead of, uh, this ranger warrior guy in the Lone Wolf series. Oh, very cool. So, what else we got? Oh, uh, Sword Quest? Did you, I don't have any Sword Quest. Did you have Sword Quest? Yeah, I have Sword Quest. I have a quest for the unicorn's horn here. It's another fighting fantasy one, uh, where you can make your own hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one actually has you roll up your stats like D&D, where you're doing three six-sided dice. Nice. But you roll 46 for your hit points. And I can see I actually used the character sheet in the book because I can recognize my child handwriting. Oh, yeah. My, all the little, that cheap paper where you erase, erase your points and you start burning through the paper until I got smart and started photocopying those things. Well, yeah, and I can always tell the ones that like came from somebody else and they like used the character sheet so I couldn't and the ones that I got first crack at. Mm-hmm. I also got this, uh, Wizards and Warriors and You, which looks like it's, uh, a standard choose your own adventure, but you choose at the beginning whether you are the wizard or the warrior. Oh, wow. And you have a different path based on which one you are. Oh, neat. Yeah. So. I, I, I do kind of remember what happened. Uh, I had a book where you had to choose if you wanted to be a warrior or that had, that had to be common. I mean. Oh, the, uh, Yeah, this was a series. There were four of them. So uh, we got those, and uh, Joel, who had to go, uh, if you have noticed that he's been very quiet, uh, he, his thoughts, he goes, he, I remember getting these books through the Scholastic Book Club occasionally. It was like the only way for him to find them. I would get so excited for the flyer to show up at school and usually wanted one of the Choose Your Own Adventure books or Garfield. <sighs> I would read and reread them and always loved the artwork. So much fun back before the internet. Yeah, because this is kind of like um, an analog version of the old MUDs. I guess in a little way. I mean, you've got a little bit of role playing where you don't have to like talk your dad and your brother and like your three friends who aren't into it. But like that was my experience before I got to high school, at least, where I was like, I really want to play D&D and I'm just going to try and get four people who will sit still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. <laughs> so uh, do any of you guys have you heard of something called Terror Tracks? I have not. I'm surprised. They're by TSR. And TSR, they made two of them. One's called The Blood of the Vampire, and another one's Something of the Werewolf. They were choose-your-own-adventure books on CD. Oh, jeez. I remember these from the Mail Order Hobby Shop catalog now. Yep. And, uh, hang on. Is it going to work? 
I have I have blood of the vampire. No. I think you should see a doctor. <laughs> so, but let's get get to the words. Just the acting and the voice acting. This is is amazing. So, if you have reached this track, you are in error. <laughs> oh, way to go, cheater! Yeah, I just clicked to the next track, and then it hangs up. Good, you have successfully reached track three. <laughs> track five. They were okay. okay Talk amongst yourselves while I find the screaming and yelling. <laughs> Let's go. Maybe track six has something, something cool on it. Track six is stop cheating. Track apartment of Vivian Claus. Prepare for broadcast. Okay, tracks. I'm gonna let you go, Jim. Jim. One, two, three. Tracks on that. Hold it, law enforcement. Identify yourself. What the hell with you? Yeah, just throw a bottle at me. Hands up or I'll shoot now! I said freeze, mister! No, no, stop! Oh my god. This, this sucks. Than I thought. Yeah, it was pretty terrible. <laughs> it's just, I kept yeah. it though. But you know what? It was neat. It was a neat idea. You know, it was, it was poorly acted and poorly written, but I mean, it was a neat idea. Yeah, I mean, they were trying something new with an audio drama and not quite sure how to do that in the format. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why, even though I was really into these, I barely remember them existing. They're just not very good. Yeah. And I just, I grabbed one because it was on, I think it was on sale at the bookstore. I think it was maybe five bucks. And sure, why not? Listen to it. Terrible. Probably make a good ringtone out of it. <laughs> Answering machine message. <laughs> so, wait, wait. Uh, that's what you could do. Just get, uh, record a bunch of really random stuff on it and just start, you know, prank calling people doing the whole, you know, with a soundboard. Oh, neat. That would be cool. I should yep. do that. So, um, can you guys remember any more of the then? I mean, I have piles and piles of these things, but uh, we could spend all night talking about them. But I think I've said about what I need to in terms of hitting the high points on this topic. Yeah. I think for the second half of the show, Josh should just read one of the books to us and we should just choose what we want to do. And that would be the whole second half. Us just reading a book. Uh, we don't make good decisions, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> And the, and the decisions we get to the first decision and we get into an argument about which one we're doing. I was going to say, and most decisions we make wind up with us arguing about it. So, and you know, what's always a good decision. The crisp, refreshing taste of Coca-Cola. <laughs> he Maybe says, and there's a free case of Coke as we yeah, go. I figure if Charlie's going to do it, I'm getting in on this shit. Mmm. Come see Coke. the cheesy writer starting March. Right on. Break. Yeah, I think it's about that time. Break. Poor vibrated. It was almost clear. Yes, 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 yes. Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. Ovaltine? A crummy commercial? Son of a bitch. All right, folks, we're back, and uh, we're going to talk a little about Choose Your Own Adventure now. Now, uh, one of the thing, cool things about Choose Your Own Adventure books is that they have not stopped printing them. They are at 185 right now. They are, however, I think, running out of ideas. Escape from the Haunted Warehouse <laughs> is the most recent one. <laughs> um, like the well, next see, one's no- going to be, don't choose the bread pudding. <laughs> well, you see, that one's interesting because he's a guy until the uh, full moon comes out and then he turns into a house. <laughs> <laughs> It's a warehouse. You, you, 
you have to get out of him before he transforms back, or Ooh. otherwise you're both fucked. Ew. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, though in 2006... Sorry, we don't have Joel. Someone has to throw. Someone's got to take that. Take that bullet. <laughs> uh, they did do a disc-based choose-your-own-adventure, the Abominable Snowman, which is actually a redo of one of the uh, original ones. Uh, I think it was in the first like twenty. Um, they redid it on a DVD animated. So you, every you would go for like maybe uh, three minutes talking about story, and you would use the remote control to choose, make your choices. So it's like a, a less sophisticated. Um well, shit, I lost the reference right as I was about to say. What was that, that giant standalone video game um, with the laser disc, the first one? Tex Murphy? What? Are you talking about a system or? No, 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 the, the standalone arcade game. Oh, drag, uh, Dragon's Lair. Dragon's oh, yeah. Lair, yeah. It, so, but yeah. The whole thing is gone now, so never mind. <laughs> the magic <laughs> is gone. <laughs> oh, no, it's still funny. You can save that. <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> <laughs> they turned it into a uh, a cartoon. So it was uh, produced, uh, well, written by Bob Duquette, produced by Michelle Crams and Jeff Norton, and distributed by Gold Hill Entertainment. Did you say nice. it was produced by a Bobcat? Yes, Bob Duquette. Uh, the cast is what's awesome. Rudyard North, main character, or think, no, one of the characters. Either way, li- listen to this list. William H. Macy. Wow, okay. Frankie Minns. From I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. From uh, Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, Frank. Oh. Muniz. Frankie Muniz. Muniz. Okay. Lacey Chabert. Uh, Mark Hamill. Phil Lamar. James Hong. Damn. Yeah. Phil Lamar, oh, a huge voice actor from uh, from he, he did uh, a lot of the voices on Futurama. Mm-hmm. Well, and James Hong. I mean, big he's trouble the in little guy. China. He was Low Pan. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. a pretty impressive list. I know. For, a, for oh, yeah, and I'm looking here at the cast. They also had Felicity Huffman. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, if they yeah. have William Macy, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, very cool stuff. You know, so they kept that going. But um, like I said before, also, the Fighting Fantasy uh, D20 series, they had the um, Death Trap Dungeon is the one that I got from uh, Gen Con years ago. And somebody took these, like you did, Pat, turned these games into actual modules. So they've got Death Trap Dungeon, Caverns of the Snow Witch, Forest of Doom, they did the original Warlock of Firetop Mountain, and they did, they did the uh, sorcery books, all as uh, off the open gaming license uh, D&D 3.5. Yeah, it looks like the big titans of the uh, original 1980s game books all got reprinted in multiple forms, because I can see that sorcery was done uh, here as a, a 3.5 OGL module. Mm-hmm. It was done as an ebook. We, uh You and I both have the Android app. Yep. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, choking here for a second. They, it's, it seems like it's one of those those things that everybody from our age group just had. I mean, when I was at work and they're like, oh, you know, you're doing your podcast tonight. What are you talking about? Choosing your own adventure books, and like everybody, oh my god, I remember doing those. I still have a bunch of them. You know, my mom has them. You know, or you know, I still I gave some of mine to my kids. That sort of thing. It's just a cool idea. That honestly, I think if I had not picked up on so early on in life, when you know back in late seventies, I wouldn't have read as much as I did. It was just one of those cool, ga- you know, cool things to lead a kid into reading and leading a kid into yeah. I mean, stories. They're, they're actually, like you said, a lot of them are easy reads, but they're exciting and they get you, you know, into reading. You know. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, Josh had mentioned eBooks. Now, it, it's not really an eBook. Because uh, it's kind of difficult to do an ebook on on Choose Your Own Adventure, but Tin Man Games, 
on Android and on, uh, whatchamacallit, what's that other one called? iOS. <laughs> God. Uh, they actually make a new series of game, they call them, they call them game book adventures. Now they've got all sorts of different ones now. They actually have, uh, ones that are based off of, uh, their kids versions. So they've got the, like, I think what's the one for the, that's so obviously named, aimed at girls. Oh, str- yeah, Strange Loves. Strange Loves Vampire Boyfriends. <laughs> and then Hex Boyfriends. I don't know, there's Witch and... But then they, they've got Game Book U- Adventures Infinite Universe. That's got Katie written all over it. Oh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> nah. like, you can just imagine giving Katie something like that and she just look at you like, really? Yeah, like <laughs> seriously. Now, there's one called Choose-O-Matic, Zompocalypse Now. I haven't gotten this one yet, but it's on my list because the picture on it is a pink stuffed rabbit holding a chainsaw. All right. Yeah, no way you can go wrong with that. Um, that sounds familiar. Have you shown me that image before? Maybe. Yeah. Or it could just be the pink stuffed rabbit with the chainsaw that I have in the house. Could be that tattoo that you have. That's true. Uh, but what they actually did is they went back and they redid the Fighting Fantasy game books as uh, iOS and Android apps. So you've got Fighting Fantasy Blood of the Zombies, House of Hell... Uh, Forest of Doom, Island of the Lizard King, Starship Traveler, that's the one that I was talking about earlier, uh, Cavern of the Snow Witch, and Appointment with Fear is the um, seven that have come out for it. Now, I've the, worst pl- part of the, the worst part of that one, by the way, is the waiting room. Fear's waiting room, you're in there forever. I mean, you make a 6 o'clock appointment with Fear, you're in there till like at least 6.30, 6.45. And all the magazines are like highlights, and everybody already did the find, your, find it in the picture thing, so they're all circled. <laughs> This copy of Us magazine with Bono in the front. You don't want anything to do with that. You don't want to see the Goofus and Gallant in in Fear's waiting room highlights. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, the cool thing about the appointment with Fear one is actually it's done like a comic book. So it's not like you've got, um, you know, if you decide to do this, turn to, you know, page 23. With this one, it's, let's see if we can bring one of them up. Uh, you un- you throw the scalding flask out the window onto a passerby, or you know, it's apparently that's not the good side to do that. But you choose a name for a hero, but all the all the dialogue in it is is like a um, reading a comic book. So you don't have just the text; you have like the word the word balloons going up, and it you have the enemies talking to each other like you're reading an interactive comic book, which is pretty neat. Um, I've been playing Blood of the Zombies and House of Hell this last week on my commute. The good thing is, is when you're playing an app that has graphics and images from Fighting Fantasy, Blood of the Zombies, and House of Hell, you get a seat yourself. <laughs> I could imagine. Yeah, because uh, they're, they're, it's all the original uh, graphics from the books, which were pretty dang good back then, and they're still pretty good. Um, let's see, House of Hell. I got eaten by dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I got... I got sacrificed, got eaten by a demon, fell down a you hole. Like, you sound like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. Yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> it, man. Uh, Blood of the Zombies. Electrocuted. I've yeah. Run over. <laughs> oh, Blood of the Zombies is like the fastest death I've had in a game so far. It's like, oh, you, you know, you are searching. You, you got a degree in mythology. So, would you like fries with that? Um, <laughs> and you're in Europe, looking up, searching out these places where mytho- mythological beasts have come from. Old man 
and the uh, town says, hey, there's a hole, there's a you know, catacombs, you should go check these out. You go check out the catacombs, there's nothing there, but when you come out, you get mugged, and you wake up with your hands chained to the wall in a cell. Uh, yeah, neat. Um, it was the, you, you know, you gotta make it, a, uh, gotta make an attempt to escape. So the, the jail master comes in, do you try, you, and you make a kick for him. Do you kick to his chest or you kick to his face? Kick to the face. That sounds good. Kick to the face, miss. He kicks you in the chest. You wake up tied to a table, get injected, turn into a zombie. <laughs> Thanks for playing. Yeah, like, well, shit. Would you like to play again? Yes. But the, the thing about them now is, Pat, you can't cheat. You what? Can't, you can't cheat with these. Oh yeah, because they're electronic now. Well, I mean, you you can you can and can't. You can choose from hardcore mode, or you can choose from casual mode. Casual mode, you can go back steps, you can go back pages, and that sort of thing. If you're there more for the story, right. if you do hardcore mode, uh, you you, you live with your choices. You live with your choices, and you get like one bookmark. So you can nice. put a, one bookmark in, and when that's gone, it's gone. So, I mean, it'll save where you're at, so it's not going to be, you know, totally ruthless. You know, like, you can close the book and pick up where you left off. But when you die, you have that one bookmark where you better hope you did it right before that, uh, the good choice. And this, the thing about this one is they they start changing up the mechanics for combat. Like, normally you have um, stamina and luck in the Fighting Fantasy books. In this, like the, the Blood of the Zombies, you just have stamina. You have no luck. It's, you know, you, you, um, but what I do, you know, it's, it, they change it all around, just like you said with the, uh, the automobile one. You know, you have your stats for your car and you have your stats for you. Um, what are the zombies? What's the other thing I was going to say about that? Oh, uh, grenades and stuff. So you can actually, you know, you have different weaponry and the way they roll the dice on the, uh, on them, you can actually, you know, use a grenade and roll grenade damage and take out like a dozen zombies all at once, which is pretty mm-hmm. neat. Now, looking at some of the other ones that have their modern incarnations, uh, Lone Wolf, as I talked a lot about in the first half, oh my god, has this been made into a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see it as uh, an ebook. Uh, it was also by Mongoose Publishing, done as a 3.5 module. It's on Steam. And one of my favorite ways to experience it now is uh, in HTML under this uh, website called Project Aeon. Oh. It's got uh, internet editions, whether you want to download them for like a Nook or Kindle, or they've also got it in HTML. And if you bring up the HTML, the left half is the book, the right half is your character sheet. And there's even a random number generator in Java where you can just like hit the random number, start combat, put in your uh, combat skills, put in their combat skills, and just hit start combat and it'll give you your results. Neat. Yeah, they've got not all. They've got all of the Kai, Magna Kai, and Grandmaster series for Lone Wolf, and they've also got uh, the combat heroes that I was talking about, the Black Baron, White Warlord, uh, PvP, as well as the other set, which was Emerald Enchanter and Scarlet Sorcerer. That's at uh, projectaeon.org. Okay. Um, also looking on Gamebook Adventures, Pat, you did the, dig this one. The greatest work in English literature, now the greatest format of English literature, a choosable path adventure. William Shakespeare's Hamlet oh, has been restored to its original second-person, non-linear, branching narrative format. So uh, they turned Hamlet into a choose-your-own-adventure book. Now, what's neat about this is as you go through the book and read it, 
they have little Yorick skulls that mark the choices that the Shakespearean actors they, they took in this play. Oh. So if you just want to read it as you know, as first as a second person. If you if you pick two B, page twenty three. If you, you take three B, <laughs> but um, the neat thing about this is that it's illustrated by people like Kate Benton, Kate Beaton, sorry, Hark a Vagrant, um, Matthew Inman, The Oatmeal from online, uh, Zach Weiner, who draws Saturday Morning Breakfast Cereal, and Mike Krahalik from Penny Arcade. Nice. All do. Oh, and um, you'll like this, Josh. Uh, Andrew Hussey, the artist from MS Paint Adventures. Excellent. All do the illustrations for this book. So you've got that going on. I mean, the, the cool thing about this is that you can make as many different bo- choices and put them in there. As now it's so much easier to publish these things than it used to be. Uh, the other th- other ones that the Game Book Adventure people have done, they've just released one uh, zombie pirate one called Blood Bones, uh, and they have their own series that starts with um, an assassin in Orlean. Where you 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 have to, and that was another one I played, and that one I n- not only did I make the wrong choices, but I made the wrong choices and wound up uh, r- running out of the city. The city gets destroyed because I don't make the right choices. All of my friends and family are killed, and I wind up in the wilderness and go insane. <laughs> so that was good. Winner. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and they also made a uh, Judge Dread one. So you play Judge Dread in that one. That's a lot of fun. So I, I mean, played it, another one that I didn't win. <laughs> yeah, I know. And these things aren't. I still have not gotten any easier. Uh, Josh, have you played the um, Android Lone Wolf series? Uh, I did not play it on Android. Uh, I know I was looking at picking up the enhanced remastered with graphics version on Steam. Okay. I'm just waiting to see if it comes on sale. Um, I've got a few of these. Uh, I've got the uh, Steve Jackson Sorcery, at least the first book mm-hmm. on my phone. Yeah, and that one and plays almost like a board it. game. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're moving your piece as you branch. You can see there's the overland map, and you can actually follow the route that you're taking through the Shamutani Hills. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. And the combat on that was pretty nice because you actually choose how much power you're going to put your next hit. And if you gauge your hit higher than the uh, your opponent does, you do damage or they do damage. Uh, and spellcasting in that is pretty cool too, where they have the you know how do you memorize the spells. When you choose to make, choose to cast a spell in, in the game, the, uh, the board itself goes away and you get this like floating translucent orb of letters. And you have to scroll around the letters and choose the three letters to make the spell. So that's pretty neat. Um, Joe Dever's Lone Wolf on Android is really neat. They've done a really good job with it of putting it together, making it look like a, almost like an action style uh, video game. It's not just a book. You do make the decisions as you go, as you go across. You know, there is the text portions. You have to make your choices. There's like an overland map that shows you where you're at and you go from, you know, section to section. It's not just turning pages. It's you have different portions on the map that show your travels. But in this one, combat is really neat. It's almost all like quick time events. Huh. So if you want to slash with your sword, you tap sword and then slash down in the arc in front of you. And, you know, you can block, you, know, you swipe backwards, you can cast spells by writing by, you actually have to write runes on the, on the screen in order to cast the spells. 
which yeah, is that doesn't surprise me because uh, it's weird because until I found the set of Lone Wolf ones, until you and I met in college and talked about them, this was like my own thing. Like I didn't know how huge these were, but Lone Wolf was adapted into three computer games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was going to be made as an MMORPG that uh, got as far as a playable demo and just like stopped in development hell. Uh, they even had uh, rights for a live-action film based on the property made as uh, recently as 2009. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, this apparently... So this could have been like a Doom kind of thing? Yeah, and it was all about these fighting fantasy game books. And, like, the property, there's still active uh, different things going on with it. Like, uh, they did a phone, a telephone adventure. It's called Phone Quest. Wow. I, you know, and I knew they were big, I, but again, I wasn't the same, uh, same batch as you, Josh. I mean, I had these books in my bag and there were a hell of a lot of people that knew what I was doing. You know, and oh, what book you read? No, it's a choose your own adventure book because you right. just don't want to get into it. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. but before then, the internet and before just like talking with other people who discovered these books, I had no idea how huge these things were. Mm hmm. But, like, if you're into game books, really, the Cadillac of game books is the Lone Wolf series. Yeah, that's good stuff. Even on the App Store, it's really uh, it's really worth, I think it's, like, maybe five bucks, which is kind of pricey for an, for an app. But there's a lot of replay, and it's a episodic content, too. So you're going to play the first section, it's going to keep going, and you're going to get a lot, of, uh, a lot of story out of it. Now, um... Who put in Lose Your Own Adventure? Okay, I did. The Lose Your Own Adventure was a book I got for Christmas last year. Uh, <laughs> Lose Your Own Adventure is a parody of the old Choose Your Own Adventure. Uh, and I actually played through a bunch of it today. It's awesome. Uh, it's got all of the tropes of the old children's books. You are a kid detective who wears a turtleneck, who has like a rival kid detective uh, who's off trying to solve the mystery before you can. Uh, your dad is the Dallas chief of police, and he's bumbling, and he doesn't know anything. And Kennedy's just been assassinated, and you have to crack the case. Cause it's the- <laughs> oh, God. And uh, as I played through it, there's no way to successfully navigate it. I was, uh, at different points, uh, brainwashed by the CIA to become an assassin and ended up shooting RFK. <laughs> uh, I was killed by the mob. Uh, I was uh, humiliated as the rival detective uh, uh, cracked the case of me wetting my bed and trying to blame it on my chihuahua. Okay. Uh, I got grounded like... Every single way you can do it, there's different ways. You end up dead in a bunch of them, or you don't solve the case, or something horrible happens to you. There's no positive resolution. And, like, all of the artwork is very evocative of the original Choose Your Own Adventures in a spot-on parody style. Nice. That's funny. Yeah, I'm trying to see if they... Yeah, it looks like Who Killed JFK? Did they do any others? I'm pretty sure it was just that one. Hmm. Can't see why that wouldn't take off. No, oh, but like <laughs> even the the art style on the front has 
uh, I gotta post a picture of it, uh, to the web, uh, to the Facebook page so you guys can see it. Cause it looks like the original Choose Your Own Adventures as well. Very cool. Like with the bubble font and everything. And- yeah. The yeah. bubble at the font, uh, at the top and the exact same font for the title. Yeah. And the, and that like really stylized 70s graphics. Nice. Yeah. I can even, uh, <laughs> cool. at least put the link to the web page where you can get it. It's a company called Despair Incorporated. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, and then there we also have, for a moment, romance novel, dating apps, and books. Yeah, what's crazy is this is a, a new thing. Like, somebody decided to, like, choose your own adventures are popular, and romance novels, like, the people who are into them don't just buy one or two at a time. They'll buy them in groups of, like, 10 or 15. So uh, there's this whole little cottage industry about making choose-your-own-adventure romance novels. And then they've moved into this sort of hybrid between, like, the Japanese dating sims and a choose-your-own-adventure romance application for the iPhone or Android. Hmm. And just seeing how these things have been repurposed, we've got our standard form – but they've moved beyond swords and dragons and kid detectives and into like w- standard bodice ripper kind of like women meeting swarthy men on vacation. I'm living their swarthiness. How swarthy can you get? I bet Charlie can get pretty swarthy. Don't go there. <laughs> I really don't want to go there. If you would like to go there, turn to page 26. <laughs> I'm putting my finger here just to make sure. Watch where you put your finger. <laughs> yeah. I get, if I turn the pages and it's Charlie in a corset, I'm going home. <laughs> if you would like to put your finger downstairs. <laughs> All right. So let's just read up Joel's thoughts. Joel found uh, Plants vs. Zombies Plant Your Path book. Same concept and ideas, but it's set up in uh, Plants vs. Zombies. It's kind of a thun- fun throwback, he says, but it's basically like playing the game. Each ending where you choose which way to go is based on your next move in the game. Planting cherry bombs or sunflowers, plus 20 different endings. Uh, his kid really liked it, and uh, he really, you know, and reads it like he used to write the Choose Your Own Adventures and Pick a Path books. So Yeah, 20 endings is about standard. Like, looking at these, most of them that advertise they have a certain number of endings... Or advertising between, like, 16 and 30. Yeah. So 20 is about average. Yeah, well, especially when you got shit like, you turn the corner, step into a hole, and die. Yes, rocks fall, there, there, everybody there. dies. That's, yeah. <laughs> it is unending. Yeah, technically, they're not wrong. So, <laughs> And that's the best kind of being not wrong. So. What? What? <laughs> what? I, I don't know. So that's what are we doing next week? satisfying ending. Yes. Speaking of unsatisfying... Next week. What do we have on tap for next, next week? week. <laughs> We're doing Footloose. Oh, Kevin Bacon. And oh, so thrilled. Who in the, who in the, who's in the, who plays, who's the Baconator in the next one? I don't know, but I know that Juliana Huff is in it, so I mean, that's all I'm really going to care about. All right. Well, we're watching the old Footloose, watching the new Footloose, and seeing where we go from there. Footloose! Yeah! And if you want, Pat is going to strap a GoPro to his head and attempt to do the uh, Footloose uh, warehouse dance. So (laughs) I'm going (laughs) to... And he was never heard from again. If you want to jump the ramp, turn to three. So, uh, so Josh, if they want to hear from us uh, later, what do they got to do? 
Well, if you'd like to contact us, you can always call our voicemail line at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Or alternatively, you can reach us on Twitter at 40Go14 or email us at 40Go14 at gmail.com. Yep. To check out our archives, you can always find us at iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, and other fine podcasting directories, or listen to us Saturdays at noon on Geek Life Radio. That's right. So, good night, folks, and we'll talk to you next week. You are now leading the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. Speaking of having a vagina in a jar, <laughs> what could this possibly lead to, Pat? You have my attention. Charges. <laughs>